Hello and welcome to the next episode of our special Back to the Movies podcast series. I am your host, Matt Scalisi, and joining me for number nine on our Back to the Movies 1983 countdown is my lovely and talented wife, Francesca Roscoe Scalisi, who many of you will know uh, as my partner on the Cinematrimony podcasts here on Film Nerds. Francesca, thank you for joining me. Of course. I think we should call this Cinematra back to the movies, Moni. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That rolls off the tongue. It just rolls right off. Incidentally, this is the first podcast recorded from the new official headquarters of filmnerds.com. That's true. Our lavish studio space here. <laughs> so we'll have to see how the acoustics come out I know, on actually, the final. I think, I think we're sounding a little echoey. It's good, yeah. It's like an, it's like an echoey chamber. Well, I don't know if that's good, is it? I don't know. We'll see how it comes out. Um, anyways, so Mr. Mom, number nine on the, on the countdown, you haven't watched too many of these 83 movies with me, but I think you've sort of seen enough of them out of the corner of your eye and you've seen their names show up wasting space on your Netflix queue to know kind of a basic idea of what kind of movies I've been watching so far. Mm-hmm. But, um, mostly terrible, mostly bad, but this one, it's really you definitely wouldn't be surprised i i guess that this movie was a big big hit in 1983 well i had seen it which says something because i didn't see a ton of movies as a kid and this is one that that made it in the roscoe house so you guys watched this as kids in your house uh uh-huh. i've seen it a few times i think it's good it's i mean it's definitely like a good pg family friendly movie there is like kind of a, a little bit of uh you know, I wouldn't call it adult humor because that word has connotations, but it's like, you know, it's clearly there's jokes about infidelity basically going on and, and whether he's going to cheat on his wife or not. But it's still, at the same time, it's definitely wholesome entertainment. Right. You know, this movie's kind of, I guess, when you when you want to go back and look at how it played at the time, Terry Garr was definitely the bigger star in the cast. Michael Keaton was kind of an, a new name here and uh, he was he was this was definitely a breakout role for him. But what do you you know as as a 2010 viewer or since you watched this when you were a kid? I mean, what's kind of your impression of Michael Keaton? Is this against type for him? Well, actually, you know, it was funny when we were watching it this time. I was thinking, gosh, like he is just a twinkle in his eye away from having been Tom Hanks. Oh, totally. He looks so much like him back then as Tom Hanks would have looked in the 80s. Although I guess Tom Hanks wasn't quite a star yet. But the thing no, about Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton was famous before Tom yeah, Hanks, yeah. The thing about Michael Keaton is he has a little bit of devil in his eye. So that even, like, he, you, Tom Hanks can get away with it with, and it comes off a little more charming. There's, like, a scheming element to Michael Keaton. And even in this movie where he's not a devious guy, there's just like a devilish gleam he's in his eye. He's up to something, yeah. That I was just like, that. I think that may be, that's, that is why there but for the grace go he instead of Tom Hanks. is because he doesn't quite have the likability that Tom Hanks has. There's I, like a little bit of a skeevy factor to I do think, Michael Keaton. And I don't mean this to minimize Tom Hanks at all, who I love, but I do think you kind of could sub Michael Keaton in to any Tom Hanks role, and you can sort of see it working that, in most cases. But that's what I'm saying. Cases. The likability factor is what's missing. With, yeah. Which, I mean, Michael he was likable in this play movie. Gump, right. You know, which I think is kind of, that's a real good example of spelling out the difference between them. There's a sort of basic 
innocence almost, I guess, to Tom yes. Hanks that that Michael Keaton doesn't have the innocence factor. He's because yes. he's a little bit, he's a little bit, uh, like you said, he's got like eight the year old naughtiness to him. Yeah, there's you know Tom Hanks delivering the same like slightly snarky comment, and Michael Keaton delivering that comment like. Tom Hanks, you forgive it, and you're like, oh, but it is heart of hearts. He's a, he's a sweet guy. Mm. And Michael Keaton, you'd be like, hey, that bitch. He is <laughs> he is bad news. Michael Keaton he really... He was edgy. He was like a little edgy. Well, he really got pretty adventurous. And if you go and trace kind of his career, it's a it's a pretty interesting path. And, I, you know, I've, I've seen interviews with him where he sounds almost a little bit regretful of some of the things he did, um, you know, especially... He just kind of he he's he's got a, a reputation for making these very odd career choices. For one, he walked away from Batman uh, after two movies, which you know he was going to do Batman Forever. It was his, and he basically said, "I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done with Batman." Which that's pretty surprising. And and then you just look at Beetlejuice as a as an individual movie. I mean, that takes a weird guy. To be to go from being a clearly kind of a comedic leading man that he established himself as in Mr. Mom, and go all right, now I'm going to go be uh, a dead demon that eats insects and stuff. But to me, he was a good like you couldn't see Tom Hanks being Beetlejuice, and he very much no could see, oh he, yeah Michael very, Keaton has a nice. weird energy to him that makes him edgy, and you know this was this was a friendly John Hughes movie. And yeah, we didn't mention that yet, but that, obviously this, John Hughes did the screenplay for this, yeah. which he uh, this was the the second movie that he wrote in really? 1983. Yeah, well, we've oh, okay. we've already done uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, which was also John Hughes. Yeah, well, and and when you watch that movie, which I did not watch, we were discussing John Hughes and and what remains and why his stuff is kind of lauded as classic. And we were talking about, which I think is definitely evident in this film. As well, that here there's a there's a basic like human warmth to his stories. Even mm-hmm. you were saying, you know, National Lampoon, like it, it's still so sort it's of good natured, yeah. Like you know, aw shucks, dad. You know, there's still kind of a respect for the family unit. I mean, even you know, it's hard to explain because even when he got into the teenage stuff later in the '80s, and you know, there were edgier characters and and you know, good guys and bad guys. There's still an element of him in the way he writes that there's basic goodness in people but also i think a john hughes thing that you see in both of those movies from 83 and obviously 1983 is really early for john hughes this is like sort of the very beginning of when he started uh becoming a very commercially successful screenwriter and before he became a director but both of these movies what you see also is um like you said there's a respect for the family unit, but it's also he's really playing up kind of the angst of the of the family uh, of, of family life, basically. You know, because both of these guys, I mean, obviously one of them, National Lampoon's Vacation, is kind of a uh, it's an absurd comedy sort of, but it's still playing on the same themes. Mr. Mom is really uh, if John Hughes is trying to get at something, it's really kind of trying to be subversive by doing switching the male female roles but the the basic idea here is to show you uh, to make you think about that what Michael Keaton's doing is what the average American housewife does every day and it sort of makes you look at it in a different way and go man it's a very stressful lifestyle it's not 
Uh, it, I'm sure it causes a lot of angst and causes real legitimate. Is this, is this making you think of anything in particular, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's where that that's why I chose you for this podcast, Francesca. Uh-huh. But but no, yeah, I, I mean, mean any particular evenings well, of our married life uh, happen happen to be going through one at the moment where we had a screaming child who uh, probably attempted to kick both of us at various moments this evening. I would say the screaming was a full hour and a half of screaming. Yeah, just nonstop. Yeah. But, mm. so, angst in the household. Now, anyways, but, but, I'm, but I think the, the point being that, that that's really what his teen movies are about. It's about, um, it's about taking the sort of, and people make fun of it now, but it's like saying, yes, it's sort of like saying, yes, uh, married white families have problems too you know it's like basically yeah. what john hughes's thing is and that and that they're not worth uh, you know they're, they're not so uh just because they're not life and death matters doesn't mean that they're that they don't cause their characters stress and uh and you know and i, I think it's it's definitely not uh, something that gets that, that was being looked at in the 70s when we look at those movies which were very grim in life and death so well here again that's why i think john hughes movies you know, have become classics and things people go back to time and time again is because they are, you know, you always get a happy ending, you know, at a John Hughes movie. You know, everything turns out okay. Mm-hmm. We've been through our angst. We've been through our trouble. But in one way or the other, there's a there's a resolution that makes you as the viewer feel good. I mean, even in this movie, which really doesn't get into the politics of a woman going to work, you know, no, they, it's not they, really about her. Yeah. It, they end it with, you know, in the last like minute of the film, even so, you know, the the TV repair woman, mind you, says, <laughs> you know, well, why don't you right. work three days and stay home two days? You know, like, yeah. like even Terry Gar gets her little solution to have it all. You know, she can she can work and be at home because she kind of says, you know, I really miss the family, mm-hmm. and you know, and and Jack gets his job offered back the Michael Keaton character and. You know, it, it kind of all wraps up very, very neatly at the end and even ends with a freeze frame of a happy family, you know? Like, right, yeah. But, I mean, there's some good jokes in there and it does, you know, it does, you know, tip the hat. Well, really, I mean, kind of the comedic thrust of the movie is the guy just can't hack it at home because there's so much work to be done and it's so, it's really so involved. And actually... He gets better at it, though. Well, and the, the and the kind of the the most subtle, you know way that he and and I think most effective way that he kind of points out like the tough job that the wife has is the first day when she goes to work she says to her husband and don't forget that you know if she starts to rub her ears and that means she wants to take her nap and then at 7:30 put her to bed and he's like wait is she going to rub her ears or not she's like no she doesn't rub her ears at night you know and she's like right. <laughs> it's like all these little intricacies of you know being a mom which of course I am well aware of that you know and you know this too Matt if I leave you with Naomi I'm saying you know Okay, now yeah, make you sure you don't list, yeah. get her underwear for her. She has to get it, but you need to, you know, pick out a new underwear and then let her pick out her pajamas. Don't get them for her because she's going to have a fit. Like, you know, you can't right. just say, like, put her in pajamas. There's, you know, there's a, there's a ceremony in a way that mom does everything, which, of course, I think also the kids, you know, like, mom doesn't do it like that, you know. Right, yeah. To some extent, too. But, you know, it's the juggling eight million things that makes the mom's job hard, which I know... You know, you get mad at me when I start to rattle off lists <laughs> like that. <laughs> Say, like, and don't forget to turn this off and make sure that she has on this and yeah. make sure my mom knows that she needs this 
you know, this sheet from her school and... Well, and obviously, look, it's it's holds up in part because that just is the way kind of American domestic life is. Let me, and actually, I was, I was going to mention this to you. There, uh, within the last few months, there's been some... Uh, some news items come out that MGM was was is looking to remake this movie. Of course, hmm. as they they probably just went down the list and said, "Okay, what movie? What are the top ten movies from every year for the last yeah. twenty years, and just which ones haven't been remade yet?" But you know, I don't think it's at all a stretch to say that this movie wouldn't. You know, I, actually, I want to hear your thoughts on it because is it is it. Is it is it a stale idea at this point? I mean, have things no, changed so much because that you couldn't absolutely. do it? Absolutely. I mean, you and I have gone through our own little mini Mister Mom over even just the past couple weeks since yeah. we've moved to our new home, and our driving arrangements have changed. We, you know, kind of figured out that really it would work better for you to be getting Naomi ready in the morning and to be picking her up, and so you've sort of had to take on a role that I usually do, which right. is wrangling her first thing in the morning and getting her dressed and getting her in the car. And it, you know, it is like. A major shift in the way you do things for, yeah. you know, I mean, as, as much as I hate to say it, in 2011, for you to be taking over, you know, particularly childcare aspects of our home life is, is a, you know, is comedy gold, sir. But it's still, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, most families, you know, break down into, even if, and a lot of, I think a lot of families now, both parents work, as you and I do to some extent. I'm part-time. You're full-time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, moms still tend to be the ones who take care of the kids and yeah. domestic matters. I think people act like, I think if if you found out that they were remaking this movie with Paul Rudd or something, I think at first people would roll their eyes and go, oh, well, that's that's not even an original, you know, Idea. Well, There's no, not well, but it's not. Idea. But it's not. It's not. I think people would first instinct would be to say it's not timely because uh, the you know our gender roles don't mean the same thing they used to. I, I think that's. I think that's kind of. Uh, I think you're right. I think it's ridiculous because I think even though people aren't shocked by the idea of stay at home dad and you hear that phrase all the time, at the end of the day, it's still probably not the norm, and it's uh, and it's still probably more difficult for most guys to try to get their arms around that kind of lifestyle than it is for most women. And I, I'm, I hope I'm not being no, look, I'm, sexist here. Or I am agreeing with you. Cause like I said, you know, even in households where both, you know, both parents work, I think a lot of times domestic, you know, certainly, I mean, and again, you hate to say it, you know, 2011, but this is the facts, you know, most of kind of inside housework, the wife does and you know outside housework is what the husband does and you know i mean it I, it's don't you wish you had a husband that did outside yeah that's work? true that's true enough <laughs> but you know at, i think it's just a woman thing to be able to rear children i mean you even say sometimes you know the, the the little amount of time that you are solely responsible for our daughter you have a hard time a lot of times with that and you know that's most of my time. Right. Just primarily with the daughter. And I definitely don't know how you make it all day. I mean, like, if I do a whole day of that, it's, I mean, it's like running a marathon. Yes. Mentally. Guess what? It's like that for me, too. Right. Well, it's just that you're a marathon runner, basically. But, uh... Who eats ice cream. Mo- but for breakfast. <laughs> 
<laughs> Moving on, though, I want to talk about a couple of the supporting performances. You get a little... I mean, it's hardly even worth mentioning, but Christopher Lloyd shows up uh, in a little tiny bit part, uh, which is interesting to know. You know, I don't really know how big of a deal Christopher Lloyd was in 83. I know, well, this would have been I know he had done Taxi. Taxi, and yeah, this is so, kind of a big deal. So he's, I mean, it's, more, it's almost a cameo, really. Jeffrey Tambor does have a little bit more of a meaty role. People who are uh, Arrested Development fans will know Jeffrey Tambor is uh, the dad from Arrested Development. Um, yeah. And speaking of Arrested Development, probably my favorite little bit part, and I've been sort of chronicling through these 83 movies. I call it the, and it's a little rude, but I call it, you know, there's a sort of archetype character in 83 that is the douchebag that's in every movie. It's like the official 1983 douchebag, and uh, I would I would say Martin Mull definitely qualifies. He plays Ron, Terry Gar's boss in this in this movie, and he's just got this great sort of creepy mid mid to late 40s vibe going with the mustache and everything. Right. I, I mentioned I say Arrested Development by the way. Arrested Development fans will know Martin Mull as uh, Private Eye Gene Parmesan. Oh, I didn't yeah, even remember. That's oh, right. Look at you. <laughs> that was you. That's the reaction that she has every time he shows up. I knew it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Martin Mull. You would write. He's other than that. He basically plays a, a high school principal in everything he's ever been in. Okay. He's like Sabrina the Teenage Witch's principal. All right. And others, but he he does a good job. He's a, he's a uh, he will definitely make the the top five douchebags list that I will make at the end of this. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be a competitive race. (laughs) That's true. There are a number of them. I'm telling you, listen, I I couldn't even go through them all right now if I had to, but right now, the guy from my tutor is definitely up there on that list, too. All right. Yeah. I know you're anxious to find out who wins. um, The suspense (laughs) is killing me. Um... Any any anything else kind of stick out to you about uh, about this movie, Francesca? Anything anything that's definitely not timely? You know, anything that's definitely you watch it and go this this <laughs> when is they go to the chip and nails nineteen eighty three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I yeah. that was something that showed up in. I feel like that was kind of a thing that happened in eighties movies, and not only do you not see that in movies anymore today. I question whether that ever yeah, actually you know, existed. Matt, here's the thing. No, yes, Chippendale like was a thing, like male strippers. But where, sure it was, was it a, ever packed out? Was it ever me, like a well, bunch of women in their 30s all screaming? Here's the thing. This is post like women's lib, so we're past like being serious and burning our bras, and now it's just like, and we get to do all the things men get to do, even the fun ones. And so, like, yay, we're going to go and, and, you know, be crazy and, right. you know, look at guys' schlongs <laughs> and put, pan- you know, put money in their panties. Oh, yeah, we can do that, too. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I think that was a thing for a while. And do you think every woman went once and then went, this is disgusting, and then they just never went again and those places all went out of business? Maybe so. And they and they turned into look, Ruby Tuesdays, still, basically? Women still, you know, hire male strippers. They yeah, do. but I, but I I can't imagine there was ever a time where just mainstream gals at the office, you know, like you know, in this case, like married housewives, all just said we're all going to the male strip club tonight. 
Well, I just can't see that happening. Well, like I said, I think if if it if it existed, which it was I think a nineteen eighty three type. It was a thing. yes. It was yeah. like a reaction to what they were coming out of in the seventies. But yeah, that's that's why women are generally disgusted by men going to strip clubs because in in our heart of hearts, it is a disgusting right behavior that is repulsive and insults everyone involved. Yeah, everyone's intelligence is insulted. <laughs> everyone's. Um, the only other thing I want to mention, unless you unless you have something else. Uh, this is already the, at least the second. It might be there might have been more that I'm not remembering. This, this is the second reference to uh, Chariots of Fire in 1983, which I guess you know Chariots of Fire was kind of late 70s. I want to say well, it might have even been early 80s. Well, I'm going to look it up right now as we get. It was 1981, so it was definitely and it you know it was a big Oscar movie, which which would have meant people were hearing about it in 1982. Won four Oscars, so it was a big deal. Still, I mean, it was it was fresh in them. Yeah, exactly. But that became, I mean, that really today that is a major. You forget trope. though, Matt. You know that you was. You forget though, Matt, that there was also a Jaws reference in there. Like, there was a Jaws was reference. Just, yes, that was. I think you know maybe the eighties might have been the first time that referential humor was a thing. And so you got to go for yeah. the very broad Pop culture references. That, yeah. You know, of course, people will know Chariots of Fire, and it was being used. And Mr. Mom at a you know company picnic, silly nonsense race. Yeah, but like I was going to say with this flippers and you know because the other one actually is the other John Hughes movie, National Lampoon Vacation, has a Chariots of Fire reference, and it's just kind of throwaway now. You watch it and you go, yeah, again at the running. But the, the for the the Mr. Mom scene actually was pretty funny. I was yeah. I was it's a funny laughing movie. out loud. Like it's a pretty stand up comedy. There was something that happened. Right at the end when we were watching today that made you laugh out loud. But, you know, I mean, I think that may have been a thing, referential humor. And, of course, Chariots of Fire was everywhere. I mean, I mean, still, that we even, you know, you've probably never even seen Chariots of Fire. I haven't yes, seen it I in have, years Yes, I years. have seen Chariots of Fire. Well, but the point is, if you say, bah, 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 Yeah, sure. Bah, it conjures an image, and, you know, you can use it ironically, and so... And likewise with Jaws, it was the right. the vacuum cleaner was going on its own, and they oh, were playing the Jaws. Of Jaws. Theme. I, I mean, I, I would. I, I mean, would it love was to know you know this was someone, like a new and edgy yeah. way of making comedy, and you had to use the things that everybody had seen because you know there was a depression on, as they as they point out in Mr. Mom topically, that you know there was an economic depression. Right. So people probably weren't going to the movies a ton, so you had to hit you know the really the high stuff that everybody well, had heard. Well, I really wonder when. And look, you know, it and still is, stands up today because they yeah. were making references to like the major. I would major. say the Jaws reference. Whole, I mean, people know the Chariots of Fire reference. That even if they don't know what movie that's from, right. they know that music is slow motion running. Right. But I, I think it's interesting that um, that we're seeing a lot of that, and you really don't from a lot of seventies movies that I can think of. You don't see a lot of pop culture references. Oh, that's what I'm saying. And I, I wonder where was where a, was the tipping point when. Pop culture references became something that was acceptable and something that was a part of comedy in movies. That to be talking about another movie in a movie, which yeah. is a very postmodern thing. Well, this is what I'm saying. Maybe yeah. it was the 80s is when that started to yeah. happen. Well, an, an excellent and, and because they were just, you know, finding their little baby feet walking for the first time doing it, they just had to go for the big broad one. Right, yeah. I'd love to know a count. Of how many movies have referenced Jaws? Just All of just them. playing, just playing All of that them, music. Matt. Yeah, every movie. 
It seriously probably has been at least. I mean, it still has. I would guess five hundred movies. And Jaws is now what, a thirty, Jaws. an over thirty-year-old movie, and yeah. it still gets referenced yeah. all the time. Sure. It, and it really comes down to was it John Williams who did that? John theme? Williams, yeah. Was that the theme is so recognizable, and that's right. sort of the Chariots of Fire thing too. Is that the theme? You know, it's music Vangelis. that immediately. That's who wrote the Chariots of Fire theme. Well, there you go. I busted it. that one out. Yeah. No right. IMDb. Wow. <laughs> nerd. All right. Well, I think that's all I've got for now. If you if you would, uh, you're going to be joining me on the next podcast in this series too, Francesca. Is that you're right? Excited? <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, you are. What are we watching? We're, we're going to be watching a sequel, and involves dancing and music. <gasps> yeah. Stay alive. That's right. Staying alive. The sequel to. Saturday Night Fever, which, which I've, you, I've never seen. Well, I'll go. Let me let me go ahead and uh, and prime you for it. It's about a dude who likes dancing. Mm. The end. Well, you can't tell. All right, we better get out of here before this continues any further. Um, well, thank you for joining me for for number nine, and we're going to be <laughs> we doing. Choice, gonna be, no, you didn't. We're going to yeah. be doing number eight too. And uh, are you excited that I'm almost done with this little experiment, Francesca? Yes. <laughs> I think your next experiment should be your wife picks out her 10 favorite movies and you have to watch them all. Oh, my. Yeah. And let me sing because they're mostly musicals. <laughs> and Indian also. No. Yeah. Oh, but some of them. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening if you're still there, audience. And uh, we will see you guys next time as we, uh, as we continue on this Back to the Movies countdown. 